Trump is just having all sorts of fun. America is splitting in two, and I get to become unpopular with both sides of the aisle. I'm Lee Erickson, and this is The Lee Erickson Show. Alrighty, we are finally back in the studio. We have been gone for way too long, but I had a lot of stuff to do. I went to Florida to a political conference there, which was really, really fun. I got to see tons of different political speakers from Dave Rubin to Ted Cruz to uh, different governors from around the country. It was a really, really fun time. Got to talk to a lot of uh, conservatives, young conservatives and libertarians and different people on the right. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about like the stuff that actually happened at that conference later. But um, I just wanted to apologize for actually not being able to bring you guys the news the last month, but because there's been a lot of it, this has been one of the most crazy months ever for news. And I wasn't there to talk about it. So I'm here now, and this is probably gonna be one of our longest episodes ever, just because there's a mountain of stuff to actually talk about. So let's get right into it. First, let's start off with some of the lighter stuff, the COVID relief bill, which has been a $900 billion bill that has just passed. And what is kind of interesting to me about this is that a lot of people, uh, especially on even the right and the left, have said that this is not enough, which I find surprising because typically conservatives are more fiscally conservative, meaning like they don't want to spend a ton of money, but it seems on COVID relief bill, they're more willing to want to spend more money. And um, I think that's because they don't really understand where this is all going. I think they hear that they get the $600 stimulus check and they kind of think, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty lame. That's all we get. That's all we get. But there's a lot more to that. For, for one, they've expanded unemployment benefits to the point where if you're not working because of COVID, you can actually end up getting more money than you would while working. It was actually a, a problem for a lot of employers that because of this, this bill, they were having a hard time getting their employees to come back because why would you go and work for less money than you were making from not working? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Plus they had the payment, uh, the PPP loans that they were handing out. Different small businesses had different advantages from like having these, these bills sent out. So it was, a, it was a good chunk of change. Um, and one of the interesting parts about this whole bill is that uh, Nancy Pelosi was praised for this, for like being this amazing negotiator with the right. But uh, actually, she settled for a worse bill than one that was initially proposed to her. She was she had senators and representatives coming up to her from the right uh, and offering up bigger bills. And she said, no, I'm going to we're going to go for something bigger than that. Um, and they, people were skeptical. And like I said on previous episodes that Nancy Pelosi was just holding off, waiting for the election to wrap up. And turns out that's exactly what she was doing because now, she, now the election's all said and done. She is totally fine accepting a much, much smaller bill. And so that's something that's been really, really, uh, con- uh, kind of conflicting from the left. Also, there's been a lot of confusion between the COVID bill and then the government funding bill that were passed like back to back. So some people were looking at the the government funding bill, the military funding specifically, and saying, why are we sending all this money to different countries for COVID? But it wasn't actually for COVID. It was our typical military budget spending. Now, you can completely argue that we shouldn't be sending money to different countries right now, especially some of our enemies, which I definitely agree with you, that they shouldn't be sending these this money to these countries, especially in a time where one, we're in trillions of dollars of debt and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So that's reason enough for me not to send money to other countries. But the, it, it's important to note that they were different bills. It's not like they were part of the COVID relief bill. The other thing that's been crazy that's happened is the the vaccines that have been distributed. 
I'm a really big pro vaccination guy, but they, they just keep going with using woke instead of using science to actually work with any of this. I mean, they're dispatching the, dispatching the vaccine all across the country, which is fantastic. However, a lot of the science that would be normally used to actually distribute the vaccine has just been tossed out the window. For example, if you were trying to distribute a vaccine that was supposed to stop people from dying, who would you want to give it to first? I would think you would give it to the people who are most vulnerable from dying from the virus, right? That's who I would want to get the most protection. But apparently the woke people at the CDC and different news article journalists all across the country have argued that no, we shouldn't actually be giving out the vaccine based on science, based on who's actually most vulnerable to this. We should be giving it out based on skin color, which last time I checked is incredibly racist. Their argument is basically this. They think that because there's urban areas in this country where black and Latino people are getting the vaccine more frequently than others because of their population density. And they say because of that, they blame that on systemic racism and all that because they always bring racism into every discussion, even if it's just on a vaccine. And they say that, look, they're getting it more frequently, so we should try to give it to them, even though they're not at risk. And because they're not just giving it to, let's just give it to like black people and, and, and Latino people, that would at least be reasonable in, in the sense of, okay, you're just going to give it to them because you, you're worried about them dying more frequently from it. No, they're picking the urban group of uh, first line workers like grocery store clerks and, and teachers and stuff like this in urban communities, which is actually going to result in more black deaths. And here's why, because even though they're not going to give it to the elderly population, which is who needs it the most, because the elderly population is quote unquote too white because the percentage of white people in the elderly community is far greater than the black people in the elderly community. Because they're going to give it to the urban community instead of the elderly community, it's going to result in an absolute higher number of black deaths. What I mean by that is let's say 10% of the elderly community is black and let's say 50% of the urban community is black. Well, you can give it to all of the urban community and then you get 50% of, of that community is covered. But the problem with that is that then you have the 10% in the elderly community dying more frequently because their death rates are not the same in both communities. It gets drastically more dangerous as you get older and older. That's why COVID is super deadly for those above the age of 65, 70, 75, and plus. It gets more and more dangerous. So you would want to give it to those people first, like give it to the oldest people. And the other thing that's been crazy to me is that Florida's governor got a bunch of flack because he decided that the best people responsible for actually giving out this vaccine would probably be medical professionals, not government officials. So he gave it to the medical professionals in different hospitals all over his state, said, you guys need to figure out the best way to distribute this vaccine. And reporters were criticizing him saying things like, well, you don't have any plan. You don't have any unified plan. This, you guys should have some unified plan at the state level. And the governor replied very intelligently that he does not know anything about COVID vaccine distribution. He's not a medical professional. He doesn't know anything about that. He's just a governor. And so he decided to give it to the people who actually know what they're doing, which should be the like no brainer decision here. But apparently that's super controversial for some reason, because everything the left wants to do has to be done at a government level, because they think the government is the be all end all to all the problems you might have in life. You just send it to the government and they'll come up with some sort of plan. So it's been absolutely ridiculous. They've been using woke versus science, but 
This is nothing new for the left. Now, let's get into the biggest hot topic of the last month. Actually, more than that, probably my entire memorable lifetime, excluding 9-11, but I was too young to remember that. Uh, this event was probably the most insane thing I've ever seen. The DC Capitol riots, okay? Now, if I was a left-leaning, if this is a left-leaning protest, I would say things like, and if I was a left-leaning, let's call myself a, a journalist or whatever, a political commentator, okay? So I'm a left-leaning political commentator, and this is a left-leaning protest. This is what I would say. It was a mostly peaceful protest. Those that committed violence were on the fringes of the protest. What does it say that people have, where does it say that people have to be peaceful when they protest? We should raise bail money for these people. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, this sounds insane. Well, these are all direct quotes from different journalists and political commentators from the left about the BLM riots all summer long. For the last six months, these were the quotes they used to justify this violence. Now, if I used any of those quotes to justify what happened in D.C., I would be insane and immoral and disgusting because it is immoral and crazy and disgusting. You should condemn this completely. The people that did this, the people that broke into the Capitol, that beat officers to death, that pushed past barriers to break into the Capitol building, to steal property, to undermine democracy, are animals. They're barbaric, disgusting monsters. Lock them up. Seriously, I, I'm, I'm actually ticked off here that they didn't use more deadly force. I'm serious. Because if this was a left-leaning right, I feel like the right, the right would have condemned it even more so in terms of like, we should use more deadly, deadly force against these people. Because if you're beating police officers to death, you forfeited your right to life. If you've beaten police officers to death and we got to stop you somehow, you've forfeited your, your right to life. It is disgusting the amount of, of craziness that went on at the Capitol and everyone that was involved should be arrested and put in prison. It is not the American way. None of those people are, are true patriots. Americans are, are supposed to be bold. They're supposed to protest. They're supposed to speak loudly. But this is barbaric. This is not civilized in any sense of the imagination. They were attempting to undermine democracy. They were t attempting to undermine the electoral votes of the country electing their president. Now, I don't like Biden either, but I'm never going to commit violent acts because I don't like the president that people elected. That's... It's, it's disgusting. It, I've said that word a million times, but that's the best word to really describe it. Now, there has been also another excuse that I've, I've heard recently, which is that there was Antifa. It was just Antifa. It was just Antifa people in the, the mob creating all this violence. And there was Antifa. Antifa actually was uh, inside of the, the DC riot buildings. They had photos that people that were both at the Antifa riots and at the Capitol building disguised as like Trump supporters. That does happen. That did happen, but it's not the broad majority of them. And it's, it's no excuse. And it shouldn't even be brought up, frankly, because that just sounds like you're making excuses for the violence when the right actually did the right thing here and condemned it. Like that was one of the biggest things that I want to point out to everyone is that the right didn't hesitate to condemn this violence. Every I don't see I don't actually know a single Republican, conservative, libertarian, anyone on the right who didn't publicly uh, denounce all of this. That can that publicly uh, condemned it. Even Donald Trump condemned it. He came out and he was like, "This is just, this is not the American way. My supporters don't commit violence. All this all this stuff." But people people just decided to ignore all that and decided to try to compare it to the BLM riots that went on for the last. 
several months, this entire entire year. And these comparisons aren't fair at all for, for many, many reasons. For one, the BLM protests, there was hundreds of them, first of all. And uh, well, actually there was thousands of protests and there was hundreds of them turned into riots. Okay. That's the difference I'm making. I don't, I don't call violence protests. That's just riots and violence. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to be like the journalists you see on CNN who compare them and like, oh, it's just peaceful protest, mostly peaceful protest that just some of them got violent. No, 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 no. 100% of peaceful protests are peaceful and 100% of riots and violence are riots and violence. They're not the same at all. They're different words. Um, so the BLM protests were not the same at all. The BLM riots in Portland were never shut down by the police for months and months and months. They just kept going on and on and on and on. And they were met with very, very little force. In Seattle, they were, they actually had their, their mayor or governor, I can't remember which, actually told the law enforcement to pull out of city blocks. And so they set up their own country, Chaz Chop. You'll remember this from earlier this summer, where they actually took over city blocks and put up barricades and hung up signs like, well, you are now leaving the United States. Welcome to the Capitol Hill autonomous zone and all of this nonsense and no law enforcement at all and if that was happening in dc that'd be insane if, if these trump people just set up all these barricades and said this is our new country we're founding it right here but no everyone's just saying that no this wasn't a uh this is they they handled this way differently this is this is just like the blm riots we've seen all summer long and it's, it's really not the same thing and also they've been saying that because these were white trump supporters that they were not met with the same force which is also absurd because they shot a woman. They shot a woman climbing a wall into the Capitol building. They met her with deadly force. They've been arresting people left and right. People I know that are from Alaska, they actually went there, got arrested, and are currently facing 10 plus years in prison. So it's not like they just like rolled over and were like, oh, we're just going to let this go because, you know, they're, they're white people. That's the, the, the narrative that the left keeps saying. No, they met it with the, the force. I wish they would have put a little bit more force into it. Sure. But it wasn't like they just like let them go crazy for months and months and months and not have any law enforcement present. And the part of the reason that they were so a little bit lackluster at the Capitol at all is because when they were more violent at the D.C., uh, BLM riots earlier that summer, they were actually faced with a ton of criticism for using that much force. So when it happened again, they were like, okay, well, we don't want to use this much force this time. So there's all these different comparisons, but the bigger, biggest one, the biggest difference between the BLM protests, BLM riots, excuse me, and the Trump riot that we saw in DC is this. Every conservative that I can think of condemned the violence in DC immediately. On the left, for the BLM riots, they had almost no, they actually did have no condemnation of those rights at all until much, much later. And they even raised bail money for these people. If that happened on the right, it would be the biggest news story for weeks and weeks, months, months, months. It would be thrown in the face of conservatives for years to come. But because it, ha it was a left-leaning riot in the BLM riots, no, no one really cares about that. No one cares that people were publicly raising bail money for these people and doing it proudly and actually like saying that, oh, don't worry, we're with you. We're well, kneel in solidarity. Every public business in the a corporation in the country was putting black squares on their, their pages and having different sales trying to make these people feel better about themselves because they wanted the violence to not affect their stores and their corporations. Catering to the violence that we saw all summer long. That is not going to happen on the right. And it shouldn't happen on the right. I'm not saying we should get the same treatment. I'm saying that both of them should get the same disgusting 
uh, uh, condemnation that they deserve. That both these riots need to need to end. So moving on from that, the, the after that, after the, all that settled down, the dust settled. Trump was the person to blame. Everyone blamed Trump for everything that happened, and everyone was really, really ticked off at him, including Twitter, because Twitter actually banned Trump for um, forever. First, they suspended him for a tweet that they said was inciting violence at the Capitol, even though it specifically said not to commit violence at the Capitol. And 12 hours later, he posted again a tweet that I actually have for you right here, and it actually resulted in him being banned permanently. Uh, this is Trump's tweet, uh, tweet, quote, the 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape or form. Shortly after the president tweeted to all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. So for that tweet, he was banned for life. Now, it would be I would be okay with it if they had the consistent standard. If they said, okay, well, any tweet that incites any form of violence like that, we're going to get rid of, especially if it's on a major public uh, platform such as the president of the United States, right? That seems fair to me if you're going to keep these these standards. But they don't really keep that standard in any other form at all. I mean, for example, the Iranian supreme leader actually gets to tweet whatever he wants, and they're pretty – darn insightful. For example, this is a tweet that the Supreme Leader of Iran posted. Our stance against Israel is the quote, our stance against Israel is the same stance we have always taken. Hashtag Israel is a uh, malignant, cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. That is, end quote. That is a direct call for the eradication of Jews in Israel. And, you know, tweet that tweet's been up for three years now, and no one seems to care. You know why? Because he is not Donald Trump. He's not on the right. And the most ironic thing about this is, is well, you could say, okay, that was an older tweet. You know, Twitter didn't have the same policies then. They changed their policies now. Well, no, they don't really keep that same policy at all because – they actually completely changed their policy when it came to Uganda. So what's kind of interesting, uh, excuse- yeah, Uganda, they actually had a Ugandan election where they found out that Twitter found out that they were hearing reports that the internet was being shut down. So Twitter came out and said this about the incident, quote, ahead of the Ugandan election, we're hearing reports that internet service providers are being ordered to block social media and messaging apps. We strongly condemn internet shutdowns. They have hugely harmful, uh, they're hugely harmful, violate basic human rights and the principles of the open internet. Access to the information and freedom of expression, including the public conversation on Twitter, is never more important during democratic processes, particularly elections. So, as you can see, Twitter is really upset that Uganda had their, their internet shut down and they were infringing on freedom of speech. But uh, apparently that is a one-sided argument because they didn't apply the same thing to Trump or conservatives on the right to have their platforms up and want to speak their mind during democratic processes. Or when the New York Post wants to post a a story that might badly bash uh, Biden's son in any way that might hurt his election chances. So Twitter is all sorts of hypocritical and it's getting really obnoxious to the right. Rightfully, I think. And because of all this, because of the different bannings and, and Trump being kicked off of all these different platforms and all these different 
uh, double standards that the right has been held to, what we're really seeing is the culture war in full-fledged attack. And what I mean by this is the culture war is something you don't really see. It's not like a physical battle, at least it hopefully hasn't become one yet. It's, it's one where people are fighting for their right to exist on different platforms, where their their right to actually have a voice in different parts of American life. And because of this, America is actually becoming two different Americas, because as the right is losing its place in different parts of American life, they're creating their own places. I mean, let's let's take a little walk through the conservative cult, uh, culture war. For example, we for the longest time, we didn't have a place in media. We had Fox News, sure, but I mean, compared to CNN, ABC, NBC News, all these other news outlets and every, including all these different uh, places like the New York, uh, the New York Times, all of the major journalistic sides and uh, of news, all of them were left leaning. They were all anti-Trump. There's probably there's not a single Trump supporter at the New York Times. There's no place for conservatives in the mainstream, or we'll call them the traditional media. So what did conservatives have to do? Well, they had to create their own. They had to create the Daily Wire, the Daily Beast, all these different uh, different conservative platforms, the Blaze TV, where they could actually have a, a voice. We didn't have a voice in higher education. Uh, in all the Ivy League schools, they had, if you go there, you're going to have, you're going to have to be silenced, or you're going to have to get a bad grade and fail the class. You, if you go to a, a big university and they'll force you to write papers like my friend had to write on why God doesn't exist, even though she's someone that really does believe in God and that she'll be mocked for that belief. If you have a conservative voice and you're in, and you're in your class and you're in your liberal arts classes, they're going to mock you and bash you for your, for your views. So what did we have to do? Well, they had to create more conservative and Christian and, and more accepting universities such as Grand Canyon University, Hillsdale College, all these different universities that actually are okay with different voices. And it's not like they, they crush down the left-leaning voices. They just accept more of the other options and actually allow for the right side of the discussion to be heard. That we didn't have a place in social media. We didn't we didn't have a place in Twitter or Facebook or or Instagram. All these different places were censoring us. So what do we have to do? We had to create our own. We made parlor. Um, now Hollywood, we don't have any voice in Hollywood. If you're a conservative Hollywood, you get bashed. Chris Pratt is even openly conservative, but he even like has conservative type messages in his films and and people bash him for it. There's not a single like conservative movie coming out of Hollywood anymore because that's just not woke enough. So what did we have to do as conservatives? We had to make a conservative Hollywood. The Daily Wire released their first conservative uh, movie out of a conservative version of Hollywood. The the Amazon, they just Amazon just kicked Parler off of their web browsing services so they can't actually they don't have a hosting platform anymore. Parler basically doesn't exist anymore because it doesn't have a cloud to actually operate on. And so conservatives are going to now have to figure out how they're going to make another conservative hosting program so we can actually have our social media websites up and running or if they if amazon decides that daily wire all our media sources are getting it kicked off we're going to have to make our own hosting networks for that too this is going down a hill fast where soon we're going to have different credit card companies credit card companies and banks that say we're not going to work with gun manufacturers so uh, if you guys want to if you want to buy a gun you can't use our credit card for it well, then what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to make our own credit card company. And this is getting ridiculous. Every We're just dividing more and more and more on a cultural level where we have different actual places where we go for our entertainment, for our news, for our discussions, for our education. And we're not having any of that dialogue anymore. And it's just making 
America more and more polarized as we go further and further into our echo chambers where all we hear is the voices that we want to hear and none of the dissenting. And that is getting really, really dangerous. And so I'm calling again, the, the one of the biggest themes of this whole episode here is it's really time for the moderates to stand up because the right is fighting for its life to exist in the culture war right now. And moderates are the people that actually could make a huge difference in this. They could actually say, you know, hey, I actually don't agree with a lot of the, what the right says. You know, I don't like their stance on abortion. I don't like their stance on taxes or, or different social programs that they support. Yeah, I don't really like that a lot. But one of the things that I will, I really do respect about the right is that they have a need for freedom of speech. And I want them to be able to speak their mind. I want them to have a, a voice on Twitter, even if I don't agree with it. And they said they need to call out the radical left side of the party that says, no, they should be, they should be silenced. They should submit to our authority because it's getting really, really dangerous for conversation within America. And if that doesn't change soon, we're going to be so polarized to the point where to the point of no return where we have every different part of American life is either Republican or a conservative or liberal. And you've got to figure out which one of those you fit into. And we're going to have none of the actual bonding that we used to have going to a basketball game. And and even though we had differences on politics, we could at least sit down and watch a basketball game and watch um, and watch LeBron James dunk on some other guy and love that interaction we have between Americans where we could actually stand for even standing for the Pledge of Allegiance anymore and having that unity together, uh, going on social media and having that discussion saying with my friends that are liberal on Twitter, I can go on there and be like, hey, I disagree with you on this for this X, Y, and Z. And they say, you're wrong for this reason. And that's a good, healthy discussion. But we're losing that. We're losing it fast. And it's time for moderates to stand up and fight. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get back to all the news. We still have a lot to cover. But we will be right back. You are listening to The Levi Erickson Show. All righty. Let's get right back into it because we still have a lot to get through. And I don't want this episode to be super long. So one of the things that is really important to understand is the tactics that the left is actually using against the right right now. One of them, it's actually one of the more dirty tricks that they're using is they're actually using the conservative niceness to their advantage. They know that conservatives, generally speaking, are pretty kind and nice and they're not going to be like rude to you and they're not going to be uh and there's exceptions to this rule of course but generally speaking they're going to be pretty subtle in their conservatism they're not going to just be really outspoken they're not going to they're just kind of going to roll over when they're kicked down a little bit and that's something that that conservatives don't want to get rid of because that's one of the things that makes us so uh i think unique and i think it's one of the things that makes the conservative movement so great is that we're generally uh i, I think kinder than the, especially on the hard left of things but what we what, then that's fully fine. I want us to maintain to be nice, but we have to be unified in some sense. Um, I, I don't mean unified in how we think and how what we do, because I also think that because conservatives are so independently minded and in how we think and how we actually interact with each other and we disagree on things so often, which is something that's so cool, is that. Every conservative has different types of beliefs and we'll debate on like different tax policies and we don't have all the same uh, ideas. But on the left, that's getting pretty, pretty rare. If you don't actually agree with someone on the left, they're just going to bash you for not and try to make you conform to their values. So one of the things that I think the conservatives can be unified on, it's not our different ideas, but that just that we're, we're not going to just be roll over anymore. We're not just going to just take it. And I don't mean go violent because I know everyone just thinks that that's the only way you fight back anymore is, oh, they're being violent. We're going to be violent. No, I just mean that when you see that your, your, your buddy is getting 
is your your buddy's getting like attacked on on Twitter or whatever or in his work uh workplace and maybe it's not even your buddy but you see that maybe your your uh coworker is being fired from his job because he's a republican because he's a trump supporter maybe you can stand up for him and be like hey I I, I don't think it's right I don't think it's right that you can just fire him just because he's a conservative there's got you can't just fire people for their political values and you actually got to stand up for each other in the in the workforce because the left is crushing us in that area every time that they're so unified. Every time that they that they want to attack somebody, everyone just dogpiles onto that one thing, and the, it's very effective. But it's it's pretty destructive, especially when the right isn't willing to actually defend itself at all. We're just being picked off one by one. When if we were united in some sense, it would actually be a lot more effective. And I don't want to lose any of the independent thought that happens in the conservative movement. That's really really good. But we have to have some sort of uniformity that allows us to actually to plan defenses against a lot of this culture war specifically. Um, so we need to stand up for that. Uh, uh, getting into the Trump impeachment, which everyone's heard about now because it's the second time uh, that Trump has been impeached this year after Democrats and 10 Republicans uh, voted to impeach Trump in the House. Now it's going to go to the Senate where they're going to have a hearing. But this is completely political. And you can't even argue that it's not just political at this point because it's not even practically going to change anything. Donald Trump's going to be president until the inauguration of, of Biden. So he's not going to get kicked out. They're not going to be able to have their trial. Even if they have the trial before his inauguration, they're not going to be able to end it before Biden is inaugurated. So even if they have, if, even if they go through with this and even if they remove Trump, it'll be after he's already out of office. So this only serves as a political thing. That's all it does because he's impeached now, but that doesn't mean anything. He's still president until he's removed from office, which will actually happen. Be, it'll happen after he's already out of office. So this is completely political. It's really not worth spending a whole lot of time on because it's pretty much just the bread and butter of the Democratic Party at this point. They just want to do political things so they can come go back to their hometowns and say, look what I did. I did this political thing and it actually didn't accomplish much of anything. So we're not going to spend too much time on that. But one of the things that's been really surprising to me is uh, I've had a lot of people in my family and my friends uh, and, and different people that they're just they're just so awestruck, like they don't understand at all why people still like Trump, even after everything he's just done, especially this much, which let's this month, which believe me, I'm pretty irritated at the guy, pretty done with him. However, I, I just wanted to hammer this point home one last time before he's out of office, which is. No one understands the reason he's in office because they're just they're seeing red all the time. They're so ticked off at him, which is kind of his, the whole point of him being president. That's why we liked him because he was just a middle finger to everything that the left was doing to oppose us. Every time the left was trying to censor us and, and badmouth us and call us racist and homophobes and all these different words, Trump was just a, flipping them off. And that's why we liked him. That's why I liked him. That's why I still like him, despite everything he's done in the last month, which really irritates me because – Let's be honest, the, the man is a uh, overgrown child, but he's a middle finger to the left. And that's what I like about him. That's why he's so great. It's because no other politician was willing to stand up for the conservatives. They were all just going to take it. They're just going to be like, you know what? Uh, we're just going to be the nice guys and we're going to be like Mitt Romney. And we're just going to kind of just go along with whatever the left says. Because maybe, you know, maybe if we if we agree with them on some stuff, maybe they'll be nicer to us. But that's not going to happen. The only way that they're going to be 
I don't even care if they're nicer to us. I just, if I just don't want them to silence us on their social media platforms. I just don't want to be called a racist every time that I disagree with them on economics. This is not a, it's not a, a, a place where I, I don't care if Trump, uh, I don't even like, I would like to, I like a lot of Trump's policies. I do, but that's not why I like him so much. I like him way more because he's just a middle finger to the left. And so that's just the last point I wanted to hammer home is because people still don't seem to understand that people are so confused at why people like Trump. And it's simply because he says F you when people are frankly just completely bulldozing us in every part of American life. So I'm that's why we liked him. But let's be honest, Trump is completely done now. He's over. Uh and I'm not I'm not talking about impeachment. I'm talking I'm not talking about how he's gonna be out of office. Um I'm talking about how he's handled himself in the last month has made made him completely politically in, uh untenable. What I'm, and that's important because for the last, like before this episode, I was talking about how I think Trump actually is the best possible candidate for 2024 because no one's going to be able to beat the guy in a primary. That's not true anymore. He completely cut ties with like everyone that made him who he was. And now Americans are all fed up with him. He's the lowest, uh, the lowest ever approval ratings in his presidency. Uh, last time I checked, it was below 30% approval rating. So the guy's done. No one's going to touch him with a 10 foot pole. He's lost all of his social media, uh, platform and his, and his power in that area. So we're going to have to look to other top, uh, other, uh, candidates for our next presidential nominee. And it won't be Trump. It might be Mike Pence. We shall see. Alrighty. So now this is a segment I've been wanting to do for a while, but I'm just going to call this unpopular things. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go over a few things that are pretty unpopular, but I think they're important that the right addresses. I'm going to mostly be picking on the right today, but I'll pick on the left a little bit too. So a few things first, you're going to hate me for this, but I think it's important that the right actually says what I'm about to say. So number one, Donald Trump lost the election fair and square. Now, I know this is an incredibly unpopular opinion within the conservative movement, so let me try to explain myself. I don't mean to say that there was absolutely no fraud. There absolutely was fraud. There was fraud and a lot of voter irregularities that were really confusing. However, the voter fraud that we saw, the voter fraud that we found, does not change any of the outcomes in any of the states that would change the election results at all. And what's really important to understand about this is that Trump's lawyers agree, even the most adamant Trump lawyer professionals that were working to actually try to uh, overturn some of the election results agree with me on this. And I don't mean I'm not talking about their public talks, what they were saying in public, because that that was obvious. They were all saying, look, we're going to find they're finding millions, hundreds of thousands of of voter fraud and we're going to expose it. We're going to flip all these states and Trump will be president come January 20th. We're going to overturn all of these electoral votes. It was all a lie. You could tell it was a lie because if you actually look at what they had in their court briefings, what they actually filed with the courts, they were not the same as what they were saying publicly. They were very, very different. And the reason is, is because when you're taking an actual legal argument, you can't just BS your way through the whole thing. You actually have to have some substantial evidence. So when they're doing their court briefings and they're bringing places like Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, they didn't even allege voter fraud. They had they didn't allege voter fraud at all in Pennsylvania because they knew there wasn't the evidence to back it up. And when there's no evidence to back it up, well, innocent and pro- proven guilty. And 
I think it's really important for the right not to keep this conspiracy theory going because it's really, really damaging for the party. And I'm not saying that the, 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 the one of the, the narratives that's been brought about this is that they're saying, oh, well, now the, look, you can look at the, the Republican Party. They're the party of conspiracy theories. That's BS. The left is the party of conspiracy theories. They're the party that says that the, the country was born and uh, was founded in 1619, not 1776. They're the party that says that America is systemically racist without providing any evidence to suggest that fact. They're the party that says that in 2016, Russia stole the election from Hillary Clinton. They're the party conspiracy theories. Now, the Republican Party has been working with conspiracy theories lately, mostly thanks to Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, Lynn Wood. Um, and I think it's really important that we stop that. We'd say, you know what? There wasn't the evidence that we thought there might be there. I was there in the very beginning that said, you know what? There's a lot of weird stuff going on here. We should investigate it. We should see what's going on and move on with our lives after that fact. But we looked at the information. There isn't the evidence to suggest that. And so Donald Trump lost the election. Joe Biden won the election fair and square without rigging it like or stealing it like a lot of people says that he should have or that he did. Uh, Republicans, this is unpopular opinion number two, Republicans shouldn't have challenged the electoral votes. It sets a really, really bad precedent. So for those of you that don't know, one of the uh, strategies that the Trump uh, campaign was using was they were saying, okay, well, uh, when they have to certify the electoral votes, they're going to challenge the votes and they're going to overturn them. And that's really, really dangerous because I don't want the federal government deciding which votes they're going to count and which ones they're not going to count. The states should send their votes in after they've gone through their whole legal process and they certified them and they sent them in and they sent their voters in. And then that should be that. I don't think the federal government has should have any say in what a state election a state does with their elections. None. Because I don't want this, the federal government having any power over my state election. That's not what the Constitution was uh, says to do. That's not what it should be done before because that think about this if it was on the other side. What if what if Trump had won this election? And then and then on the when they were the when the represent House of Representatives was actually counting their votes, they decided, you know what, we're just going to toss out all the Republican ones that have uh, voter fraud allegations because, and they could use all the same logic that the Trump campaign used and just throw them all out. I'd be pretty ticked off, wouldn't you be ticked off? And we got to keep that in mind that we don't want to have any double standards within the Republican Party. We got to make sure that the the precedents we set are consistent and they and they they stay consistent throughout the whole thing. Third, a third unpopular opinion. We lost Georgia because of Republicans. The reason we lost Georgia is because there was a lot of people that were discouraged after all the talk of voter fraud because they thought, well, why would I go and vote when I actually have, well, my vote doesn't matter. They're just going to steal the election anyway. And that's what the evidence shows. I mean, the the party, the, the people that actually made this, the made Georgia flip blue in the Senate is because rural Americans didn't come out to vote because they were discouraged. They were discouraged that their vote didn't really matter. And so then why would they go and vote? So that the talk of voter fraud actually resulted in us losing the Senate. I think that's, uh, and we should have won at least one of those seats easily, probably two, but we lost both of them because of all this voter fraud nonsense. Now, fourth unpopular opinion, Trump is not responsible for the riots, but he is responsible for raising the temperature. What I mean by that is his 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 conversations, his speeches, his tweets definitely served to raise the temperature of the riots that 
that came after. But I'm not saying he's responsible for it because I keep I don't have double standards. I keep it very, very consistent. For example, Obama raised the temperature as well. He raised the temperature throughout his entire presidency, talking about racism, talking about how officers and cops were going out there and just killing black people left and right. And what did that result in? It resulted in black people going out and killing police officers. I don't blame Trump, uh, Obama for the pulling of the trigger that killed those officers, but I do blame him for raising the temperature. What about the baseball shooting that resulted in the near death of one of the Republican uh, Republican members of Congress? Bernie Sanders was talking all the time that if you disagree with him on healthcare policy, you just want to kill grandma. You just want your, your we're just the Republicans are just trying to steal your healthcare. So what did that the, his Bernie fan do? He went out and shot up a Republican baseball game and almost killed one of them. I don't blame Bernie Sanders for that shooting, but I do blame him for raising the temperature. So I'm keeping that standard consistent and saying that Donald Trump is not responsible for the riots, but he's responsible for raising the temperature. Five, Mike Pence is better than Donald Trump. Mike Pence has been phenomenal this last month. He's stuck by his constitutional duties. He's refused to do anything political, and he has just been a really level-headed, smooth, smart guy, and I really hope that he runs in 2024 because I'm a big fan of his now. Six, Twitter can do whatever they want. I think it is completely okay, legally speaking, that Twitter banned Trump permanently. I think they could ban anyone they want. They invested millions and millions of dollars into creating a platform, which I think is a really good platform. It's a really fun platform to use. And so because of that, it's their platform. They invested a bunch of money into it. They can do whatever they want with their platform. They can kick whoever they want on. They can invite whoever they want on. I do not care on a legal level. I still think that it is disgusting that they're doing this because I think on a cultural level that really defeats the purpose of Twitter as being an open public platform for everyone to discuss different ideas on. But that's a different matter. Twitter can do what they want with their with their company. So can Amazon when they deplatformed Parler from their web hosting services. I think that was completely okay, legally speaking. However, it's really frustrating to me because the left agrees with me on this. And they're like, they will reply to conservatives who say that they shouldn't be able to do this. The left will say, you know what? It's a private business. They can do whatever they want. But it's frustrating because the left doesn't keep that standard in regards to anything else. And this is where I'm going to bash the left a little bit because that logic doesn't apply to anything in their life. It doesn't apply to a uh, a bakery that decides they only want to make uh, cakes for straight weddings. It doesn't apply to a, a business who wants to stay open during lockdowns. It doesn't apply to any other part of American life. They just want to, that's what the left is good at. They're really good at having double standards. They'll have standards that serve them and standards that hurt conservatives. And so that is one of the things I don't want conservatives to take up from the left. We have to have our, our straight and narrow standards and just say, you know what, Twitter, you can do what you want. You know, that baker who wants to bake cakes for straight weddings, whatever, you can do whatever you want. Uh, if you want to stay open during COVID, do whatever you want. It's your burger place. It's your clothing store. It's all up to you. You are your own uh, your own governor. You can do as you please as long as you're not violating any of my rights. And I think that's a really good position for the right to maintain. Now, eight, corporations love Democrats. This is one of the ones that's so funny to me is that the left still believes that they're so anti-business, that the the businesses are they're just hammering them home and then that the, the corporations are just fearing their 
their power and, and office now, but that's not the case at all. Corporations such as Google, Microsoft, and Comcast have all donated to Biden's inauguration. They love to see the man in office. You know why? Because more democratic regulations re- leads to less competition. Because if you are if you are a giant corporation, any regulation that the government throws at you, you can hire a massive legal team to find the most efficient ways to get around it. If you're a small business and you're doing all of the books yourself or maybe with your one accountant, uh, you're not going to be able to keep up with all of that. And it's going to put you under bus- out of business really fast. And then you're going to be one less competitor for the corporations to worry about. Plus, the corporations are all incredibly woke, especially the technology businesses such as Google, Microsoft, and Comcast, because all of technology right now is left-leaning, is incredibly left-leaning. Nine, this is one's probably unpopular with the right and the left. We shouldn't have any federal COVID relief. I don't think we should have any federal COVID relief because it doesn't make sense to me while South, why South Dakota, who doesn't have any lockdowns, who hasn't destroyed their economy, has to pay for California destroying theirs. It makes no sense to me. If you want COVID relief bills, they should be done on a state level where California subsidizes their lockdowns, not South Dakota. It makes no sense to me. Shouldn't have a COVID relief bill at the federal level at all. Number 10, also unpopular with the right and the left, we shouldn't have any minimum wage. Biden has promised that he's going to work to get a $15 national minimum wage, which is absolutely absurd to me for two levels. Number one, economically. Economically speaking, small towns in states across the country cannot support $15 minimum wages. California can do it just fine because their standard, their, their, Price of living is already that high. That's already what their economy is kind of suited for. A $15 minimum wage wouldn't be terrible there. But if you're talking about other places, such as Midwestern states, where their minimum wages are so low right now, that jump up would be devastating for small businesses again, because small businesses can't afford to hire 10 employees at $15 an hour, especially when you live in a place where you're you're only charging such small prices for your for your product. You got to raise. You either have to lay off employees or raise the price of your product. When you raise the price of your product artificially, then you're just going to result in less customers. And there's so many different economical principles that they're violating by this. But the biggest thing is the philosophical reason that I don't understand why me as an adult and an employer as an adult can't just work out a deal amongst ourselves. Why does the government have to be involved in that deal? If I go to an employer and I say, I want to work for you for $1 an hour, why does the government get to come in and say, no, no, you can't work for a dollar an hour? And I go, no, I really want to work for a dollar an hour. I I don't know how to do this job at all, but he's going to teach me to do it. So while he's teaching me, uh, he's just going to pay me a dollar an hour. So that's the deal we worked out because we're two adults. Uh, No, the government decides they're going to come in there and be like, no, no, no. Uh, You guys are actually smart enough to do your own deals. I'm going to be your big sister and tell you exactly how much you guys are going to get paid. Why is it that in me, if I own a burger joint and a guy comes in and says, I would like a job. And I was like, okay, uh, what kind of, are you a chef? What kind of skills do you have? And he's like, no, I don't really have any skills. I'm like, okay, well, uh, you're not really worth hiring for $15 an hour. Sorry, I can't hire you. I was like, no, 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 I understand. I, I, I just want to learn. What if I, what if you only hire me for $10 an hour? Cause I have a lot to learn. I'm like, I would love to, but the government said I can't hire you for $10 an hour because Apparently, I can't do what I want with my business. Again, the left being inconsistent with their double standards. So that is all my unpopular opinions for today. And the last thing I want to talk about before we go 
is my trip to Florida. And I don't want to talk about all the fun stuff I did because that's really boring. I want to talk about more about what the conference was about. The conference was really, really cool because it, it showed me a bunch of things. Number one, it showed me what it's like to be in Florida with their amazing governor who decides that people, individuals are responsible for their own safety. And they decide, he decided to let individuals be free to do as they please and take the risks of COVID on themselves. So you got to walk around, you got to go into the bars, you got to go into your restaurants. You didn't have to worry about uh, the government coming down and shutting your business down. You could have your open economy and everyone was just a lot freer and it, it felt nice to be in a normal state again. You know, we still had to wear masks in a lot of the restaurants, but people were open, they were free. And guess what? COVID isn't just killing everyone. They're doing better than California and New York. They're doing fantastic and they're completely open. And it felt really nice to be normal again. Uh, the second thing was it was really nice to be surrounded by a bunch of young independent minds. It, it wasn't just like everyone there was just sitting in an echo chamber reciting the same lines. I got more debates than I've ever had in like my entire life. And I was surrounded by conservatives that generally agree with me on basic principles. But we have really interesting debates on a lot of different other subjects, which makes us really free thinking individuals, which I really, really liked. Other thing that was really interesting about that conference is that we actually got to sit and listen to a panel of a bunch of different experts on China. And China is terrifying. Uh, turns out, while well, they're destroying us economically, uh, they're catching up to us militarily, their culture is completely destroying us on a uh, social economics uh, economical standard. Pretty much everything you can think of, China is winning at. And that's something that conservatives and America in general needs to keep an eye out for. And the last thing that uh, I took away from this conference was a hope for the future. Now, if you listen to this episode, you probably just heard me complaining a lot, um, which is pretty sad that there's just not a lot of positives right now. But one of the things I did take away from this conference is there is hope for the future. There is actually a massive amount of people. There was thousands of kids there, thousands of people there that were all willing to sit down and listen to each other and actually discuss these different ideas. They were listening, they were able to listen, they were they hear, they were respectful, they weren't just animals just screaming at each other on Twitter. They were they were discussing these different ideas. But right now the conservative party is the conservative movement in general is at a crossroads. And there's two different paths we can take. And I, I would say one path I would call the the Matt Gates option, which is one of the uh, representatives that I got it listened to at the conference. And the other one is the Ben Shapiro option. The Matt Gates option says that we need to start playing by the left's rules. We need to start adapting a lot of these uh, uh, tactics they use to fight against each other. They want to fight each other. They want they want they're fighting us. We should fight back the same way they're fighting us. That's the Matt Gates solution. And I understand that that's appealing. I mean. It's getting really annoying just being kicked in the head over and over again and us not kicking back. But I don't think that's how we win. I think that's how we lose. I think that's how we become more and more divided. I think the only way that we win as Americans and become united again is the Ben Shapiro option. And that's to become unified on the right and to actually unify and widen the Overton window that allows for moderates and, and Republicans and right-wingers alike to all come together and say, you know what? We don't all agree on everything. But we at least agree that we should be able to say what we should say and be left alone. And I think that is the best solution for a united America and to not have to make all these different conservative and left and liberal platforms, to not have to have a conservative credit card company and a liberal credit card company, that we can just have credit card companies, that we can just have sports again, 
that me and my neighbor who disagrees with me on everything politically can get together and we can watch a, a football game. I think that is the America that I want to see again. And if we're going to get there, we can't just fight them the same way they fight us. We got to be better than them. We got to rise above. We can't have any double standards. We can't have any conspiracy theories. We use facts and logic. That's what we do in the conservative party. That's what we do in the conservative movement. We need to stick to that and we'll win every time. And if we support each other, we support our conservative businesses. We say enough is enough of these of these liberal tyrants that are trying to crack down on us, then we're going to be just fine. So the last thought I'm going to leave with you guys before I let you go is tyranny won't come to America when everyone feels oppressed. What I mean by that is a tyranny, we're not going to live in a tyrannical America when everyone feels oppressed because then we wouldn't put up with it. The left and the right together would be like, nah, not, none of that. But tyranny will come to America when one side decides the other should be forced to submit for the good of the collective. If one side of the political, and it could come from the right or the left, if one side decides, you know what, the best way to move forward in America, the best way to get rid of the America that I see right now is to just shut down the other side. That's when tyranny will come to America. And that's what I'm worried about. So if you want to see a unified America again, we need to be willing to accept that other people don't agree with us on everything, that they have a president that we don't like, and we have a president that they don't like, but we can at least be Americans together. And above all, if we both hate each other's presidents, maybe we should make that president not so powerful and not so meaningful in our lives. That sounds like the best option to me. But who do I know? I'm just a uh, 21-year-old who is in college, so take it or leave it as you will. So please go ahead and like and share. Leave a comment and let me know what I what I should talk about on my shows next. I really like your feedback and appreciate all of that. If you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe so you can actually see when we have more episodes come out. But until next week when we have more episodes like this and Why Christ coming out later this week with another episode, I'm Levi Erickson and this is The Levi Erickson Show. COVID-19 has... No, that's not even the right starting line. All right, we're going to start again. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Rampantly all across the world for the last several months now, and it looks like a second wave is upon us in places like New York City and Maricopa County.